this morning is going to be the glory of heaven. And the scripture is going to be very familiar to you. Once I get into the sermon, you will see the verses on the screen. Um, It goes like this. About eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And As the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had just said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud which said, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken... Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days of anything that they had seen. Lord, we ask your blessing on the reading of the message this morning. Open it up to our hearts and our lives. Help the preacher to preach. Help the church to listen. May the words and the thoughts of my heart this day come from you. May they be for us, and may they be for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got good news and bad news. The good news is, this is today's message. This is today's message. Two pages. The bad news is that Mark French said he knew that I'd be able to fill that in and we'd still be here for a good while. But anyway, let's get going. I saw this, my my brother posted something the other day that I read and it stuck with me all week. And I'll I'll tell you what it was. There was a gentleman standing looking at the camera, and he said, "Um, my father walked to work all of his life. He said, I drive a Chevy truck to work. He said, my son drives a BMW. My grandson drives a Porsche. And he said, my great-grandson will likely walk to work. And he said, explain that. And here was his explanation, and it stuck with me. He said this, hard times make strong people. Hard times make strong people. Then he followed up with this, hard times make strong people. Strong people make easy times. And then he followed it up with this. Hard times make strong people. Strong people make easy times. Easy times make weak people. And then he followed it up with this. Hard times make strong people. Strong people make easy times. Easy times make weak people. And weak people make hard times. Some reason... That stuck with me this week. And I think there's probably some truth in what he said. 
You've probably all been watching a little bit, at least a little bit of your television. I have watched in horror. I have been shocked at what's going on. I have been sad. I have been angry. I've been a lot of things. But by and large, I've not been hurt personally, as far as I can see. And maybe that is actually part of the problem. Maybe we don't see the stake that you and I have in this because we aren't personally feeling the pain with bombs and bullets and our homes being broken up. Maybe we're watching some other war from our living rooms instead of what's actually happening on the battlefield where they're living it. Last night I turned on the TV and I was watching a news program and they had gone to a lady They were going to go to a lady who is in her basement with her three children in Ukraine uh, in the capital city uh, waiting uh, for an error, you know, whatever it is where they bomb them to begin. And just before they put her on the screen, uh, they were talking with a guest. I think it was a United States congressman or something, but they were talking with this other guest, and they were discussing how gasoline prices are going up, how inflation is digging into our pocketbooks. And all of those are true, and all of those are important things. But what struck me was, was when they cut to this lady in her basement. They went to her and they asked her this question, basically this question, what are you hearing and feeling uh, in your basement as you await what's likely to be uh, a bombardment of epic proportions of your city? And she said something like this. She apologized. She said, I'm sorry, but I have to say this to you. She said, the existence of my country and my government and my friends and my family is at stake here. We've lost people everywhere. She said, people that I talked to yesterday, I will likely never see again. And you're discussing the outcome in your country of high gas prices and inflation in your grocery stores making the cost of bread and milk go up. And she had a look on her face that was very telling. She was incredulous that that was even the question in the United States. And then she added this. You need to realize that if you don't help us, you're likely next. And what you see can come to you just as well as it came to us. It's something to think about. With that in mind, I want to jump into the scripture, and I'll get back to that. Luke tells us that eight days after he said these things, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on a high mountain to pray. You know what I've learned about prayer? You pray with those you trust. You pray with those you trust. You'll pray for anybody. But you pray with people that you can confide in, people that you can be with and know that being with them in a very intimate way is going to be safe. And Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. He had done this earlier in Luke 8. He had to go into a house where there was a woman who was ill. And as he went into that house to heal her and pray for her, he took Peter, James, and John with him. And you'll remember later in the Gospels when he finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he is going to go to the cross, he takes with him Peter, James, and John. And you'll also remember that they felt close enough to him to fall asleep while he prayed. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face 
was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. I want to stop and tell you, his appearance was altered, is how Luke puts it. Luke tells us this differently than the other gospel writers who recount this story, in particular Matthew. Matthew is the guy that gives us the word transfiguration. Luke doesn't have it here. It's actually the word metamorphosis. But Luke doesn't have that word in his story. Luke was a doctor. Luke was kind of like, remember Dragnet, just the facts, just the facts? Remember that? I forget the character's name, but he was always wanting to know just the facts. Luke is a doctor. He looks at what's going on. And that's really all he tells us. He gives us a description. He says, while Jesus was praying, his face was changed and his clothing became white. Now, there's an obvious question for you and I. Why was Luke watching when he should have been praying? (laughs) Jesus is praying, and he sees that Jesus looks a little differently. Last night, we were with our sweet little Emma, and Mom and Dad came to pick up Emma, and we were just getting ready to feed her. And my son sat down next to his daughter and was trying to help her to eat. But before we got going, we prayed. And while we're praying, I was peeking. And I peeked over and I looked, and my son was peeking. And when I saw my son peeking, I then looked, and there's Emma, and she's peeking. None of us know how to pray the right way. But Luke is looking. Luke is praying, and he's looking to see what's going on with Jesus. And he writes down what he saw. And behold, there were two men talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, They appeared in glory, and they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. You ought to find that odd. You know, for some reason, Moses and Elijah show up to talk about when Jesus is going to leave at Jerusalem. Now, what Luke didn't know when it's going on in real time is exactly what what was going to happen in Jerusalem. Now, Luke wrote this after the fact, and he knew everything that happened, and you and I have certainly read it, and we know what uh, is coming up with Easter, that Jesus is going to die in Jerusalem. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to go to the cross. We know all that story, but at the time, Luke didn't know it, and for some reason, God chooses to send Moses and Elijah to have a discussion with Jesus, which specifically says that it was about his departure which he was just about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Hmm. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two people, two men who stood with him, heavy with sleep. I don't know if that means they were fully asleep. I don't know if that means they were partly asleep, but they were tired. When they looked up and they saw Moses and Elijah standing there with Jesus, my guess is they weren't as tired as they were a moment ago. I'd bet that would wake you up right quick. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Now, Moses, please look close at that verse, the first five words as the men were parting Moses and Elijah are leaving and that's when Peter says let's build three tabernacles or tents for everyone 
Is that why he said it? Because they were leaving and he, he didn't want them to go? The problem, and the reason we know there was a problem, I'm not just creating a problem, is if you look at the end of that verse there, it says, not knowing what he said. You see, as the men were parting from him, Peter looks at Jesus and says, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Well, it doesn't mean that he didn't, those words randomly flowed out of his mouth. It means that he put the cart before the horse and didn't think about what he was saying before he let it come out. You and I do that all the time, at least I do. He didn't realize what he was saying. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. I want to remind you of a few clouds in the Bible. After the Exodus, there was a, a cloud in the wilderness. Clouds in the Bible are always associated with the coming of the Son of Man. And clouds are pretty prevalent, actually, in the book of Revelation, where there's these two prophets at the end times. But I'm not preaching on that today. The cloud, though, had some significance. And a voice came from the cloud. And the voice said, this is my Son, my chosen one, listen to him. This morning, I said to my wife, did you hear, I, we were talking about the news, and I said, did you hear what Elon Musk did? She said, no, I didn't hear what Elon Musk did. And I took my phone, and I got a video out, and I showed her what Elon Musk did. It doesn't matter what he did. He, he, he's trying to keep Internet going in the Ukraine so that the Ukrainians have some communication. But I said, did you hear what he did? When God spoke from this cloud to Peter about Moses and Elijah and Jesus, he didn't speak through an intermediary. Somebody didn't show up and say, hey, Peter, did you hear what God said? No, God said it. God's voice came from the cloud. There's no intermediate. God is speaking expressly right here, something. And when God speaks expressly, it means he's saying something that we need to pay attention to. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This isn't important, but I want to point it out to you. You hear that and you think that God's given orders, right? Listen to Jesus, right? I think there's more to it than just God's given orders. I think, I think God's trying to tell us something about where we can get the most wisdom, the most true, if you would, information. Because what we tend to do is focus on someone's opinion or someone's thoughts or Oprah or whoever, our political party. I think this is more of less a commandment and more of a correction. Peter, listen to him. He's my son. He's my chosen one. And what he says is as if I'm speaking. And when the voice had spoken... Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This verse tells you, this passage tells you that Moses and Elijah and Jesus and Peter are up on the mountain, but this verse tells you 
that Moses and Elijah are gone and Jesus is left there all alone. Hmm. I want to get to my bottom line real quick. I told you this isn't a, a long message today. And the bottom line goes like this. The glory of heaven is revealed through the cross of Calvary. And you might look at that this morning and say, Joe, I don't see how you got there. Well, let's try to help that out. Why when the men were about to go away, why when Moses and Elijah are about to leave? You'll remember that what, what we've been told is, is that we know what happens next. Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and die. But here in the middle of this pericope, this story, Moses and Elijah show up, and as they're preparing to leave, Peter says, whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to build tents. We're going to build tabernacles. You, you don't have to go. You don't have to leave. You know, there's times when those grandkids come. I can remember many times when, when, when Ethan, Easton would come. And, and his mom and dad would show up to take him home, and I'd say, he don't have to leave. He can spend the night, because I loved having him. You know, I love, we enjoy having him and all that. But, you know, there's other times when mom and dad can't get there too soon. <laughs> Peter says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't go anywhere. We'll build a place for you. And remember from that verse that it said, not knowing what he said. I love what Eugene Peterson says in the message. When Eugene Peterson uh, translated that verse, he wrote it out this way. He said that Peter blurted it out without thinking. I mean, that really gets to the heart of it. He just let her fly, didn't even think about what he was saying. Why? Why? Why does Peter want them to stay? There's a couple problems with what Peter did, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the first problem. Let's build a tent for them. A tent is not a permanent arrangement. A tent is a temporary arrangement. A tent is a transitory event. It, it, it's not meant to be something you stay in. You may remember that King David in the Old Testament, when the time came to build a house for God, which ultimately was Solomon's temple, that, that King David said, it's not right. It's not right that I live in a house and God lives in a tent. It's, it's just not right. That's God. Well, right here, what Peter's doing is wanting to build a tent for God. He's wanting to build a tent for Jesus, a tent for Moses, a tent for Elijah. But ultimately, it's not only that it's a temporary arrangement. There's another piece of that that you've got to pay attention to. If God deserves a tent, do Moses and Elijah really deserve a tent too? You see, Peter has brought Jesus down when God's intention on the mountain was for them to see Jesus lifted up. And I'd submit to you that most of us do the same thing with God in our lives. We want to have one hour on Sunday morning. These days, some folks don't even want to have that. And we want to be sure that 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 one hour doesn't infringe upon whatever else it is that we think is more important than he is. And what Peter had just experienced, church, 
as he looked at the face of Jesus praying, as he looked and he saw Jesus' face transfigured and changed, what he described in human words was God doing something supernatural? Was God doing something out of this world? Was God revealing the glory of heaven to Peter in the person of Jesus? And Peter says, I can take this for a little longer. Let's build a tent. And Peter says, it's nice to have you with me. Life feels better this way, so let's let you stay a while. The problem is that Jesus had been walking with Peter the whole way up to this time and Peter didn't see that Jesus was walking with him. If you were to go and look at the context, and the context of this passage this morning is so very important. You probably heard me read this morning, you said, oh, it's the Mount of Transfiguration. I've heard this 65 times in my life. I could have stayed home in bed this morning. I'll bet you never considered it in its context. Because in Luke 9, what happens just immediately before this, just immediately before the transfiguration, is Jesus looks at those following him and he says to them, take up your cross and die daily and follow me. That's the context of the transfiguration. And the point of it is, as Peter's up there on the Mount of Transfiguration and he sees the glory of Christ, he misses the point that Jesus' glory is not going to be revealed to him until he goes through the cross. I'll give you good scripture for that. If you were to go in your Bibles to John 17, John 17 this morning, what you'd find is this. Let me go there because I forgot to carry my Bible down here and I intended to, but it'll just take me a second. Listen, if you would, to this verse. Father, this is Jesus praying just before he goes to the cross. The hour has come. He's saying it's time for me to die. I know what's next. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. I bet you never thought about the cross is being a place where Jesus is going to be glorified. You see, Peter thought it was this temporary event where he just had this revelation from God up on the mountaintop. Here I am. Look, you can see who I am. My face has been changed. I've got a glowing cloud and the, the cloud, a glowing, uh, glowing face, and the cloud comes down, and the voice of God speaks out of it and tells you who I am and says, Listen to me. Oh, Peter, aren't you special? And most of us want God to reveal himself to us that way. I've even heard people say, if, if God would just reveal himself to me. Folks, I've got to tell you something. A lot of you have been at this a lot longer than me. But since September of 1982, I've been a follower of Jesus, and I would love to hear his audible voice, but I haven't gotten it yet. It doesn't mean that he doesn't speak to me. It doesn't mean that he doesn't reveal himself to me. But if he's not going to reveal himself on the mountaintop in the cloud with the flashy lights, how's that happen? Well, Jesus has told us in the context of this story. His glory is revealed in the cross. Take up your cross and die daily and follow me. And Jesus, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, is getting ready to do that very thing. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And Peter thinks... 
that it'd be nice to have this little ditty of a show for a little while longer, so I'm going to build you a Coleman tent to stick yourself into for a while longer, and I'll just sit here and enjoy this, but I don't really want to have to pay anything to get it. God says, you forgot the most integral part of this. I'm not Santa Claus. I'm Jesus. And I'm going to send my son to the cross, and he's going to die an ugly death. And that will be where his glory is revealed to you best. In church, we forget that he says to us, take up your cross and die daily and follow me. You know, I really feel for the people in the Ukraine right now. I can't hardly watch that. I, I, I can't imagine in my lifetime that this is happening. I never dreamed, hope you don't mind this, but this is going to be comfortable for me to talk to you. I never dreamed in my lifetime that I'd be watching this go down. And it makes, it, it, you don't want to know what it makes me. But you know what this week my biggest struggle was? The copier in the church office quit working. I mean, that's a big problem. Preschool uses that copier. They print from down here. It goes up to the office. It prints out. They come up and get their copies. They're doing reports. They can't get their copies out. No big deal. I'll fix it. Debbie runs over to North Canton, picks up copier cartridges, brings them back. We stick them in there. We got the wrong ones. We need a repair guy. Repair guy's got to show up. Well, that's no problem. I got an extra printer in my office. Hey, I'll tell you what, Chris, I'll have this printer right down to your office. I run up to my office. I grab hold of that copier and just doesn't get ready to unplug it. I look down and right on the screen it says in big letters, you need toner. <laughs> Do you ever have a day like that? Do you ever have a week like that? I I've been having months, possibly even years like that. It's just one thing after another. I can't compare to what's going on right this minute on the other side of the world. But even that can't compare to what happened on the cross when Jesus died. Paul the Apostle would tell us this, and I am getting to a place to close this out, so I won't go much longer, but I want you to hear this, and I'm reading it from Romans, I'm reading it from the message, it's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar passage if it's read in any other version, but in the message it speaks it the way it ought to be spoken. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around, your copier breaking down, your car in a fuss, your dental work that needs done, your retirement check that's been miscalculated, your check that didn't clear, of course, I'm filling in blanks here, right? But you get the picture. God helping you take your everyday life, your ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, your walk around life and place it before God as an offering to him. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Fix your attention on God and you will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it.
Did you hear something in there that was so important? If you fix your attention on God, you'll be changed from the inside out. You know the copier that breaks down? Today that might be your cross. You know the car that breaks down? Today that might be your cross. You know the person who really, really rubs you the wrong way, but they love Jesus as much as you do? Today that may be your cross. You know the anger that wells up in you that you want to let loose on someone at the store because whatever they said? We're not doing it today. That may be your cross. Don't become like everybody else. Fix your attention on God and you will be changed from the inside out. You know what Jesus did? He fixed his attention on God's will. It would have been easy. It would have been so easy to say, okay, Peter, I'll take you up on that. You pitch the tent and I'll stay here. Okay, Peter. This is all it takes to impress you. I'm in. Because, Peter, I feel good when you're making me the center of your attention and you're looking at me and you're comfortable with me and it's all happy, jolly, holly. Jesus says, no. They've got to go away. I'm headed somewhere else. And where I'm headed to is where you're really going to see my glory. It's not up on this hill. It's not up here where God's done this wonderful thing to let you know who I am. It's going to be on another hill where I'm going to show you my love in the most profound way you could ever imagine. Then you'll see my glory. And church, let me tell you something. You can show God's glory on a daily basis. You just have to take up that cross and choose him first. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to pray that I pick the song that's legal. <laughs>